Morning. morning. How's everyone doing this morning? Good. Uh, I'm doing okay. I think I heard somebody ask me that, which is unusual, but thank you. Everybody get good Easter baskets this morning? Good. Okay, good. A few people. Good. So there was a man uh, who was riding in an Uber through town, and he was on his way to church, actually. And uh, so he's riding, and you know he's kind of looking at his phone and avoiding talking to anyone. And he realizes they're kind of going way out of the way. And so he's, you know, looking around and like maybe he knows something I don't. And then as it continues, he's like, man, this is really far. And, and you know, he says something, nobody, there's no response. And so he kind of reaches up and taps the guy. And the guy screams, just screams in tear and like swerves and is all over the place. It almost hits like a store. And then he stops and there's just dead silence in the car for a second. And finally the driver's like, never do that again. Never tap me while I'm driving. And the man who was there, he's like, I'm sorry, I just I was trying to get your attention and you weren't paying any paying attention to me and I didn't know where we were going. And the driver said, Now nah, you know what? It's not really your fault. This is my first day driving an Uber. I've driven a hearse for the rest of my life. <laughs> my favorite was watching your faces trying to figure out where I was going. Like, is this what's happening here? But today we are talking about Jesus who did come back, who, who, who is alive. And it's such an amazing day. And it's so good to see all of you, and it's so good to be here. Uh, Anne, who uh, is retiring soon, was talking to me this morning. She's like, hey, is there anything I can do for you this morning? Like, I, I always got really nervous before Easter service, and I'm like, hey, that's the benefit of being nervous all the time. This is just normal for me. <laughs> so today... Uh, we are going to talk about the resurrection. I'm going to start with Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 through 4. Early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone, and sat on it. His face shone like lightning, and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards shook with fear when they saw him, and they fell into a dead faint. We saw in one of the videos earlier that when he died, the earth shook, and there was an eclipse, and, and it was very clear what was happening, the curtain tore. And then when he came back, kind of the same thing happened. The earth shook, and the stone was rolled aside, and the stone, which was kind of like a prison gate, was now a resting place for an angel. And these guards were Roman guards, so these aren't like crossing guards. They are legit soldiers, and Rome was one of the biggest empires ever. So they went out, and they knew how to fight, and they knew how to win, and they knew how to face anything without fear. And they were so scared of what was happening. And maybe they'd been at the cross, and maybe they knew some and some things, and maybe they'd heard some things, and, and maybe they knew who they were guarding, maybe they didn't. But regardless, when the evidence of Jesus was clear, when his power came out, they fell down because they couldn't stand against it. And that reminds us that when we can see Jesus, when we show Jesus, when we show his love, his grace, his power, his glory, it is impossible to miss. Regardless of belief, regardless of where someone is, regardless of who someone is, it's impossible to miss. That's why it's so important for us to show that love, to show that, that grace, to show who he is all the time to be an example of him. And the guards show us what is happening. There are several examples 
of somebody being resuscitated. And Jesus had brought people back from the dead a few times. But to be resurrected is different. And that had never happened and hasn't happened since. And it shows not only the great power and victory over death. It shows so much about what we can expect. It shows so much about eternity. And to be resurrected means you're living again in a new body. And it's mostly the same body, but it's kind of like the perfect form of your body. It'd be pretty nice, right? And so Jesus shows us that. He comes back and he shows us that. And we'll talk about that in a second. But we're talking about this now. If you go to Israel, and some of you have, to Jerusalem, you will see a lot of tombs all over the place. There are are, are several. You will see the burial place of, of a lot of great heroes throughout the Bible, people we know, but not Jesus. Because he's risen, and he's back, and he's still alive. And so as I was reading through things, this will shock you, but I have something from C.S. Lewis. Jesus forced open a door that has been locked since the death of the first man. He has met, fought, and beaten the king of death. Everything is different because of the resurrection. This is the beginning of the new creation. A new chapter in cosmic history has opened. You see, dying at the cross, that was payment for our sins. That's what brought us salvation. That's what gave us a chance to choose him. And the resurrection is kind of like the receipt for that. It's proof that it worked. It's proof that it was accepted. It's proof that we are accepted. And it's Jesus living again and showing us all of this. And it changes everything. Because he's a living God and he's walking among us. And he walked among them and he shows us that the sacrifice of his life saved us. But the resurrection gives us hope. And it shows us that there's a tomorrow. It shows us we have a chance to live again. It shows us that we serve someone who loves us so much that he gave everything for us. It's a promise of what's to come, a glimpse of eternity. Not only did it open the way for us to talk to him, which I talked last week about how the curtain ripping gave us the chance to go directly to God. And just again, go back to that. Imagine what it must have been like to have to go to a priest or a rabbi in order to pray, and you have to tell them everything. And you're like, hey, this is what I want you to talk about. And Jesus is like, no, you can come straight to me now. And so the resurrection shows us that as well. But it also, it shows us that he is stronger than death. You see, death had always been an ending. It had always been a fear, a worry, something that, that people dreaded. And it's still not something we super look forward to. Even with faith, we worry about it sometimes, and we think about it, and we hate seeing it. And it can be so hard to lose someone. But before this, it was such an unknown. It was such a big what if. What if God doesn't want us to go to heaven? What if there's no God? What if, what if, what if? And Jesus coming back, the resurrection, shows us that through the sadness, there is joy. Through the sorrow of loss, through the pain of loss, there's victory and there's gain and there's hope and there's love and there's life because that is who he is. And we are able to continue onward. Every year we have Easter. I hope that's not a surprise. Every year we have Easter and we always tell 
a version of this, because that's the Easter story. And if I started reading about the birth of Christ, you'd be like, what is happening? Maybe I'll do that one year. And just watch as a line of you go out to the traditional service. We talk about it. But how often do we really think about this? You see, last week, I tried to go in detail as much as I could about the crucifixion and the pain and everything he went through. But this, this is why we're here today. This is why people look forward to Easter. This is why people become Christian. Because had he just died for our sins, that's enough. It would have given us a chance at salvation. It would have given us an example of sacrifice. It would have been an act of tremendous love. But for him to come back again, to walk amongst his followers, to say, hey, I'm going to prepare you even more for a day when you can talk, when you can lead a church, when you can start churches, when you can be with other people. To live again shows us that we will live again. It can be such a hard thing to lose someone still. And just the other day, I was thinking about my great-grandmother, and Most of you know me. If not, she raised me, and she passed back in 2011. On the day IU beat number one seed Kentucky with a final shot. (laughs) And there are still times where I wake up and I want to call her. Yesterday was Beatrice's birthday. She's my niece, in case you didn't know that. She's four now, which makes me like a thousand. And I was thinking how awesome it would have been if my great-grandmother could have seen her. Because sometimes Beatrice is just like her. Like she has the stubborn look, and she tells me what to do. (laughs) And so I was thinking about it. And then coming into Easter, I was thinking about it because she loved Easter so much. And it's so hard. And some of us have lost people recently. Some of us, it's been a while, but we still feel it. And it's so hard. And so when I say... That death is joy. I'm not saying that, that, that we have to laugh at it. I'm not saying that there are no tears because there are. Because we still feel that loss. But Jesus shows us with the resurrection that that loss is temporary. And that one day we'll see our loved ones again. One day we'll be reunited. And more than that, one day we'll be with him. And there will be no more tears, no more sorrow, no more pain. I want to continue with John chapter 20, verses 11 through 18. Mary was standing outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she stooped and looked in. She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. Because they have taken away my Lord, she replied, and I don't know where they have put him. She turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her. "Uh, Who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you have taken him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will go and get him. So Mary and the other Mary and some other people had come to finish the preparation of the body that, that had been interrupted because of the Sabbath. Because Saturday is the Sabbath, and there's no work allowed, especially then. And so while they were preparing on Friday, they had to stop for the full 24-hour span, and then now they're coming back. And so she is looking for Jesus, and she's feeling the sorrow still. She had heard his message. 
but she's feeling the sorrow. And we're not in the perspective series anymore, but I want to go to perspective for her for a little bit because Mary is feeling everything that the disciples felt and more because she was saved by him in every possible way. She had been possessed. And he released her from that. He directed her towards salvation. He helped her to see a better way. He helped her to see a better path. And even then, people kept talking about her. And they kept gossiping about her. And they kept making up stories about her. And even today, people will make up stories about her and say this is who she is. And she's not a great person. Or she was this. Or or, she was in love with him. Or any of those things. But Jesus didn't see that. He just saw her. Probably the only person in her life that just saw her. He saw through all of the the noise. He saw through all of the pain. He saw through all of the sorrow. He saw through all of the hatred, all of the anger, all of the gossip. And he just saw her. He didn't care about anything else. He didn't care about what people said. He didn't care about what people thought. He didn't care about the judgments of man. He cared about her soul and her heart. And that changed her life. It saved her life. And so she's coming to try to give something back to him. And just a little bit before this, Peter and John had come running. And it's one of my favorite passages in the Bible because John writes it. And so he makes sure to point out, and I got to the tomb first, which is what I would have done also, so I feel it. Although I never would have gotten to the tomb first, to be honest. But they had just gone off. And what they saw when they looked in was the folded up grave clothes of Jesus. And so they began to understand what Mary saw when she looked in was an angel sitting there. And the clothes were probably still there, but all she saw was the angel. Because whether Jesus was alive or when he was dead for those three days, all she ever focused on was him. And she saw that angel. And she didn't even realize it was an angel because she has tears in her face. And she's worried because Peter and John had just raced by her and she had no idea what was happening. But you see, she saw something different in the tomb than they did. Because He loves us individually. And so he will speak to us individually. He will have an individual relationship with us. We can see things that others can't because it's personal, because it's real, because it's special, because that's how much he loves us. He loves us so much that he died for each of us as if we were the only people in the world. And so Mary saw something different, just as you may get something different from a song or from a message. Because he is love. And so Mary feels that, and she sees that angel, and she talks to him. And her first question is not, where did you come from? Why are you here? I just saw the tomb the, the tomb opened. How did you get here? Her first question is, where is Jesus? Because that's all she focuses on. That is her heart. Again, he had saved her. And she felt the pain of his death, the sorrow of not being able to finish her, her, what she felt was her job in preparing his body. And she felt all of that. And now he's gone. And she just wants to see him, just to see him one more time. And then Jesus speaks to her. And I know for us, when we read this or we hear this, it's kind of weird. It's like, well, how could she not recognize him? And I just said that the resurrection body is slightly different, but it's still basically you. Like, you're recognizable. 
just in a perfect form. And so you know later that he still had his scars, and it was still clearly him. But in her place, she was feeling such pain and such sorrow and such loss. And she has tears running down her eyes. And she's scared and she's hurt. And she doesn't know what's going to happen. And so she doesn't quite recognize him. And he's not playing a game with her. He's helping her to see it herself. But she doesn't quite see him. And she's emotionally distressed. She's faced such great trauma. But also she doesn't really expect to see him right there because he's on the wrong side of the tomb. And also sometimes if we're in a place that we don't expect to see someone, it's kind of, we don't quite recognize them. I know once way back in the day when I used to substitute in Seymour, uh, I was in the office and I'm signing in and you had to sign in and get your assignment. And so I'm doing that and there's a lady sitting right behind me, and she's kind of looking, and she waves a little bit, and I just do the customary nod that, that we do, you know, real cool thing that I notice we do while we're driving sometimes too, which is weird, but it is what it is. Maybe it's just me. And I'm like, you know, I do that, and then I walk out, and it wasn't until hours later that I realized it was my best friend's wife, but I just, she's from Columbus, and that's 20 minutes from Seymour, which is an eternity. Because in Indiana, they actually have city lines, not everything on top of each other. And so I didn't expect to see her. So even though I knew who she was and I recognized her, I didn't recognize her. It was just kind of an odd situation. Also, sometimes when we're worried, when we're stressed, we don't quite realize what's in front of us. How many people here, and you don't have to raise your hand, but how many people here have desperately looked for your, your phone or your keys or your glasses and they've been in your hand or on your head? I remember one time back in grad school, I was on the phone with my mom, and this is going to be a key part of this story. I was on the phone with my mom, and I come in, and I had a pattern every time I walked into the apartment. And so I would put down my keys, I would put down my wallet, and I would put down my phone, and that's what I did every time. And so I put down my keys, I put down my wallet, and then I start freaking out. And I'm like, I've lost my phone. And so it's easy to understand how maybe, especially with distress and all these things, she wouldn't quite see who he is. And I want to repeat how much he had saved her, how much he had led her, how much he saw her. Because there are so many negative things said about her still. So many assumptions made about her being a prostitute. There's no evidence of that. But people say it because they want it to be true. Um, I've had someone ask me before, why is there always literature or or plays about Mary and Jesus being married? Like, why do people want that to happen? Well, it's simple. Because in our society, we always want the, the couple to work out. Like, we're used to seeing a movie or a TV show, and in the end, they have to be together. That's how we make sense of things. And so we see Mary and Jesus in the same way. And so that's always piled onto Mary always given to her, always thought about her. And yet, Jesus saw through all of that. He sees through everything. And I have a quote about this. I am fallen, flawed, and imperfect, yet drenched in the grace and mercy that is found in Jesus Christ. There is strength. And I believe that's a song, but I have no idea. You see, some of us were raised in church. And this is all we know. 
Some of us came to it late. And we lived in the world, and we lived like the world, and then eventually we saw him, and we came here. Some of us, maybe even most of us, have lived a life feeling unseen, feeling judged, feeling hated, feeling like nobody cares, feeling lost. Some of us feel broken. Some of us used to feel broken, and now we feel okay. But others of us still feel that so deeply and so harshly. And we feel like no one truly sees us. We walk out into the world and we feel like people talk. We feel like people are just everywhere judging us. And that weighs on us and it hurts and it breaks us. But you see, in all of that, no matter how you feel, no matter where you are, no matter what you've been, no matter who you've been, no matter where you've been, his strength is our strength. And his grace lifts us up. And his love fills us, even if we don't love ourselves. This is something I struggle with daily, multiple times a day, not loving myself. And whenever I say that, there's always people that are like, oh, I love you, it's okay. It's not how it works. But I know deep inside that he loves me. And that's why I can do this. That's why I can do something terrifying. That's why we get up in the morning. That's why we're here. That's that's what we do. That's what unifies us. That's what brings us together. His grace. You see, none of us deserved him to die for us. None of us deserve salvation. Not a single person. We often will look at the news or look at politics or look at celebrities or look at whatever and we'll judge people and be like, oh, they disagree with me, so they're not right. No one can make it without him. And so it's his strength, it's his grace, it's his love. And he saw Mary when no one else did. And the same for each of his disciples. You see, each of his disciples were failures. Because at the time, the most important thing was to be a rabbi. And so every Jewish man pretty much tried to do that. And they failed. And yet, that's who he called. He called the outcasts. He called the fishermen. He called people who who were broken, who were lost who didn't feel like they belonged, and he saw them, and he brought them together. He called Paul, who was a murderer, who was angry, who felt such judgment and hatred for the world, and he saw him and said, this isn't you. It doesn't have to be you. And Paul turned it around, and that's what he does for each of us. You see, he died for us, and he came back for us, and he still lives for us and is preparing a place for us. So we go forward living for him, living like him, showing his love, showing his grace, seeing other people that feel unseen. Not molding them into what we want them to be, but seeing them through his eyes, seeing them how he sees them. Broadcasting his hope, exemplifying his grace. Going to verse 16. Mary, Jesus said, She turned to him and cried out, Rabboni, which is Hebrew for teacher. 
Don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father. But go find my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord. Then she gave them his message. You see, Jesus could have revealed himself at any time in any way. He could have been born to the world in any time, in any way. But he knew the perfect way. The most relatable way, the best way. And the same with Mary. He could have immediately allowed her to see. But he wanted her to have that moment of realization. He wanted it to be personal, to be real. And he knows her name. He knows our name. And he called it out. And it opened everything for her. It reminded her not only of who he is, but who she is. And that's what he does to us individually. Individually. I could go chair by chair and call out your name, although I can't do that because I don't recognize everybody. But also, if I did, we'd be here a really long time. And I've already had someone tell me, oh, great, you're preaching today. We'll be here till 11. <laughs> Sorry, Austin. We're fine. He picked IU to win, so he's wrong, but still. But he knows our name individually, and he knows us individually, everything we faced. And Mary, she showed devotion to him, even not knowing that it's him behind her. She's looking for him desperately. She's trying to find him, and that's all that she wants. And then her heart soared, and she ran to him and grabbed him and hugged him. And he says, do not cling to me. And I think, well, I know that all of us are probably like, hmm. So that must be the present imperative with a negative, right? And so in Greek, that means something a little different. And I know I just lost all of you. That's fine. <laughs> Listen, I have a lot of college loans to have this English degree. So I have to say stuff every once in a while. <laughs> because that's literally all I get out of it. It's not very lucrative, so kids, go in business. Uh, but in the Greek tense, don't cling to me. The thing he says means stop doing something, not don't do something. So he's not saying don't hug me, don't reach out to me, don't touch me. He's saying, hey, I know what you're feeling. But let go. Because I have work to do and you have work to do. And that is way bigger than we realize. Because, yes, it shows us more about his body. It shows that it's physical. But a little later he walks through a door. So it shows that, that it can do anything. And I could go forever about talking about eternity and what the bodies are like. And it's so cool to me. But more importantly, he sends Mary. And I talked about what people said. But beyond that, she was a woman. And at the time, courts would not recognize the testimony of women. They were not seen as people. You see, in the feeding of the 5,000, which we all know, it's really closer to 10,000 or more because only the men were counted. So this is a very different society, although not as different as we'd like, probably. And yet he sends her, which is controversial, and it's huge, and it's amazing. And everything aside, had this been a fake story, the person he's sending is a Roman guard or Pilate himself or a, a Pharisee, somebody who it's like, wow, 
This person's respected. This person knows what they're talking about. This person is legit. But he sends Mary Magdalene. Because to him, our past is our past. All he sees is us. All he sees is our heart. All he sees is our soul. And he has a call for her. He, he, he recognizes her testimony where maybe the world doesn't. And he's unconcerned with what they say. He's unconcerned with the judgments and the gossip. He is only concerned with her. And he sends her and he says to his brothers, and this is the first time he ever called the disciples brothers. He'd called them friends and servants and disciples, apostles, but never brothers. Because he's saying, guys, it is time. I have opened the door for all of us to to answer our calls, to do more, to stand up, to be everything we can be. And he sends her to them. And he calls her to act, knowing that no one else would call her to act. But he gives her a call. He gives her a purpose. He gives her a life. And you see, all of us have a call. All of us are different. All of us have a different relationship. All of us have an individual relationship with him. But all of us also have a call, a unique and important call. And I have a quote about this. If we follow the example of Jesus Christ and become true peacemakers, that flood of love will cover the earth as with a blanket. If we follow the example of Christ, not the example of me, not the example of a political party or a news station, not the example of somebody we like, not the example of what we want, but the example of Jesus to be peacemakers, not to win, not to be right, but to be peace, to be love, to be hope, to be Jesus in this world. You see, we all have this call. We all have this chance. We are all called to be like him. We are not called to win, but to help, to plant seed. We are not called to judge or condemn, but to exemplify him. Over and over, for the last few weeks in this series, I've said that we look at Easter and Christmas as these special days where so many people are wanting to come to church. And we can see today that there are a lot of people here. But it's not about those days alone. It's about the fact that around those times, Christians act actually like Christians. And we actually show Jesus, and we show love, and we show hope, and we see people. Well, tomorrow's Monday. And not to spoil the calendar, but it's no longer Easter then. And so we go back to the world. And we go back to who we were. But we don't have to. Because he died for our sins but didn't leave it there. He came back with a call to us to be like him, to show him, to love him, to love everyone. And I've said this a million times in my ministry. But when he says, love God, love others, he uses the exact same word for love, which means unconditional, which means unconditionally love God, which we get. We understand it, and we can do it, and we know that we have to. We're supposed to. We're called to. But it also says in the same word, love others the same. 
Love others unconditionally. We cannot just do this on Easter and Christmas. We look at the world and we see what's wrong. That's easy. But we are called to be what's right. We are called to be examples of him. To bring peace where there is no peace. To bring love where there is no love. To see people who are unseen just like he saw Mary. And he didn't care about her past. He just saw her future. And so he sees that with all of us. All of us have this chance to take this life and to show others why it matters. That's all I got.